0: how cool is that, huh? Have any of you guys ever seen that before? Seen one of those mirrors like that? I haven't, and I really, like, want to figure out. I was trying to, like, shift my mirrors in my bathroom around so that I could make it happen, and then I just had this crease, and I was not sure where I was looking, and then it became, like, the big multiple mirror thing, but I don't know. You guys, I just am fascinated by the idea of what that is, the true mirror. Just, it was amazing to me. The reason that that video stood out to me was because of that idea that, that, honestly, for two reasons. One is I didn't realize that our minds were doing that, that the mirror was doing that. We were getting a false mirror, is what he called it, where it was looking and it was actually flipping what our, what our image looks like, and then a true mirror. I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit slow on the go, but I didn't realize that that's really what was happening. The other thing that really stood out for me was how much it impacted those people how profound it was for them that they felt like they saw someone completely different than they had seen before it was just it was just amazing I don't know if we haven't, my name is Rachel Wilford. I'm on staff here with our Life Together ministry. And if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I hope we get to after service and and have a minute to talk about this. But tonight I'm going to take us into the next message of our unoffendable series. And we are going to be talking about identity. And this is probably one of my absolute favorite topics. I'll be honest, I think I've given a message about identity maybe five times over the last five years. And so when I was asked to do this, I was just like, yes, I am all in. Funny story, though, you need a little bit of backstory on this. So when we laid this out, I was, I was you know, going to do the identity message, and then we realized there was a schedule shift. So Derek and I flipped, and I was going to do the anger message that he did last week, and he was going to do this one. Well, then last week, I had an occurrence that happened that was way out of the norm, and I ended up having to have this urgent, crazy surgery that no one expected. I went to the doctor Friday, a couple hours later, was in having surgery. Thankfully, uh, the Murphy family doesn't hate me too much for canceling their trip and having to rearrange things. So, hi, weird how God works. I'm back here giving the message I was supposed to be giving. Yes. Yes. So obviously God wants me to be here doing this, so hi, we'll take that, right? But as I'm coming out of surgery, I don't know if any of you have had surgery before, but I'm coming down the hallway, and it's like that in-between, like forced to sleep and waking up stage, and I realized that I had my hands over my face and I was bawling. And I get into the recovery room and, I, and I'm doing the, oh, I don't know why I'm crying. And they're like, it's okay, Rachel, it's fine. And I realized I um, had kind of was going through some kind of a dream or something where I had let people down and I wasn't somewhere I was supposed to be. And now looking back, it was, I thought I was supposed to be teaching the message, and I wasn't there, and how weird my subconscious was pulling that out at the time. So I'm in the recovery room. I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm, you know, I don't know why I'm crying, and if you know me, then that's is not an abnormal situation. But they were like, it's okay, Rachel, it's okay. They're like, this is actually very normal. They said, uh, funny, when women come out of anesthesia are in recovery, majority of them are crying. They'll go into this crying and that's how they come out. They said, guys, they're angry. They have to like hold them down and talk them out of fighting somebody. And I was like, if that doesn't talk a little bit about our underneath, like who women, men and women and the differences are, I don't know what does. So so let's talk about identity some more because that just heads into that. But then they tell me, here's the best part. And they said, for the next couple of weeks, because of the anesthesia and everything that's happened and we are moving around all your parts, you're going to be a little bit extra emotional this week. You're just, or for the next couple of weeks, you're going to be a little bit extra. I said, I can't be extra. <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys know me. I, I live at extra. That is my identity is extra. So I was like... Oh, heaven. Oh, let's just do this thing. So we're going to go extra today, which is why I have my lovely seat here, which is probably making the camera people very happy. I can't be all over with my Kobe Bryant wingspan today. But here, honestly, though, you guys, all jokes aside, I truly believe that there is a reason that we're here tonight. Um, I believe that, that everything that has led up to this night is because God has a word for tonight. I believe that he is here to speak to you, whether you're here tonight in this amazing auditorium, whether you're online or watching later, he has a word for you. And so I want to pray and head into this and be expectant of what God is doing, because he knows that, he, that, that something is happening in us, in all of us, in our identity, and how he is moving in that. So I want to pray for us as we head into tonight. Jesus, we sit here um, expectant. That's the only way I can say it. We sit here expectant of what you're doing, expectant of breakthrough, expectant of honoring of you, of of your movement. Um, I I can feel myself shaking tonight, and it's not just from nerves, but I believe, Jesus, that you truly have something that you're doing. And so we sit here in your throne room tonight, Jesus, open to to whatever it is that you want to do through us and whatever you want to say to us um, about our identity about who we are, who we are through you, Jesus. So we give you this time and all the glory in your name. Amen. So back to our story from the video about the mirrors and the reflections. Um, What I think is so amazing is that we truly have, just like the guy said, he had, had developed this relationship with this person in the mirror. We have become so accustomed to this identity we have with this certain person that oftentimes I think we don't even realize that that identity is a false identity. We don't even realize that the voice that is in our minds and the things that we believe about ourselves is is a lie. I know when I first started coming to terms with the idea that how I felt about myself and the things I said about myself and the things the voices in my head said were lies, it took a lot of deconstruction. It took a lot of work to get through that. I don't know if you're like me and you've been in that place where you're like, no, 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 that is who I am. Um, You know, I, I... have become so accustomed to seeing this person in the mirror. Funny story, I don't know if any, many of you saw I posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago. I uh, bought this wig that I wanted to try on, and um, I thought it was glorious. It did not look anything like me. It didn't look anything like me. It was like I was in a different mirror. It was completely different. I should have put the picture up. That would have been fun. Check out my Facebook later for that one. But we are so used to seeing ourselves that way that the idea of seeing ourselves differently is so foreign to us that we almost reject it. We may see ourselves one way maybe because that's how we've been brought up. Maybe the world has spoken things over us. Our childhood has given us certain traumas or just experiences, so we see ourselves one way. Maybe we're built in a way that we think about what other people are going to think if something happens, good or bad. Maybe we're built in a way that we're thinking of ourselves internally, where it's like, I'm such a failure, or I'm going to succeed, and it's internal. However you're built, you're going to be looking in a certain mirror, getting all of that information. But what we want to do tonight is we want to spend some time, and how do you flip from this negative mirror, from this false identity, and how do we flip to the true mirror or our true identity in Christ? Now, we t- look up the word "identity." I think it's kind of fun you look up the word "identity," and it says the fact of who a person is." All right, so the fact of who a person is. My name is M- Rachel Marie Wilford. I was born Rachel Marie Lant. Uh, I have two parents, uh, James and Denise. I'm five foot 10. Um, these are facts, right? But our identity contains so much more than that, especially as we as a humanity. It contains things like the things that we build up about ourselves. I'm strong. I'm confident. Um, I wrote down some stuff about myself. I feel like I'm thoughtful. I'm caring. I'm loved. I'm afraid. I'm never enough. I'm broken. I'm a criminal. I'm extra. But really, the question is... What is our true identity? What is this mirror? Who are we in Christ? So like I said, I've talked a lot about identity over the years, and I know as a church, it's kind of been the the word for a while now. If you've been around for very long, this is a word you've heard. We had Jamie Winship come in a few years back and who did a lot of work with us about identity, and it was so incredible as we worked with him how to figure out how to exchange our identity from the false identity to the true identity but I love this part of it because identity is so important to us because it's it's not just a conversation to have. I truly believe it's an essential part of the gospel. Who we are in Christ is essential for us to understanding our salvation, helping us understand what it is that God is doing. So this week while I was preparing, I was talking to some of the staff I was in here practicing, and we were talking about some of the negative narratives that play in our minds and um, and the idea came up of how we differently look at things. So like I talked about it before, you might be one of the people who, like let's say, let's give the example of you lose your job. So think about for a sec, you lose your job. What is the first thought that comes to mind when that happens? Well, you might be in the camp where you might be the, oh my gosh, what are people going to think? What are my neighbors going to think? What is my family going to think? What am I going to do? Or you might be in the camp of, I am such a failure. I will never be able to keep a good job. I'll never be able to do this. Or you could be in both camps at varying times depending on the situation, right? The important thing to recognize though is where's is where that voice coming from? Where are those thoughts coming from? They're coming from our false identity, which comes from the enemy. And when we're living out of that false identity and we're living out of a place where we're worried about what people are gonna think, or we're thinking a negative narrative about ourselves, this is when the enemy starts to work in such a way that he builds up offenses. We start to take offense to things that are happening around us. Derek did a great job last week when he brought up the the garden box, and he showed us um, how offenses that we experience in life can literally build fences. I don't know, I, I saw that and I was just like, that is brilliant because that is literally what happens every single time we take an offense to something, right? We take an offense to someone cutting us off and we're, now we're angry, we're offended that that person was so rude that they could do that and a, and a fence plank goes up. We're so offended that someone spoke so rudely to us and now we put that fence plank up. The enemy's plan really is to destroy us, to take us out completely, And Derek showed us that his strategy is to divide us. So every single time we look in that mirror and we live out of our false identity and we take offense to something that's happening around us, we put up a fence. And eventually that fence gets to be so big and so strong that we are no longer connected to ourselves, to other people, or to God. But when we can live out of our true identity, who God has truly made us to be, we can start taking down that fence and we can truly become unoffendable, which is funny because I looked up that word. It doesn't really show up. You put it in your thing and it shows up as it needs to be auto-corrected because it's spelled wrong. So I love this because it really, though, is an action statement. We have the ability to be unoffendable. And how do we do this? I wanna walk us through some verses um, because I think that God has given us obviously this, this amazing word that shares so much with how we can be unoffendable. He shows us people who throughout the Bible have identity crisis and, and then have to question and how do they live out who God created them to be so that they don't take offense to things that are happening around them. So I wanna take us through a few things. So if you're a note taker, now's your time right out. The first thing that we're going to do in order to do this, to become unoffendable, is you have to identify. You have to identify what identity am I living in. So like I said in the beginning, I didn't recognize that there was a false mirror, that I could be looking at an image that wasn't actually what everyone else saw of me. I had to recognize that. And maybe you're in the same place that you have to recognize, I'm looking and living out an identity that is not who I really, truly am. And it's really hard to do this, you guys, to identify. So I want to give you permission to do this hard work. And I'm going to challenge you how to do it. Because this is the really hard part. One, if you've never realized that you're living out the wrong identity, Two, how do you even find out what that identity is? Best thing to do is do this in community. Maybe you're in a discipleship or mentorship relationship. Do that there. Maybe you have some running partners, some buddies that you challenge and do your your scripture time with, or maybe you just have some amazing support that you can do this with. I definitely challenge you to do this with someone. But the first things you want to do is you want to do like we talked about last week. That check engine light is on, friends. Something is happening to cause us to be uh, offended and angry and irritable, get our feelings hurt all the time. We're gonna isolate. We're gonna question ourselves. We're gonna doubt ourselves and our ability to do things. That check engine light is on, and so you have to go through these. Am I angry? Am I going through these things? So the best thing to do is to sit down and sit with God and ask him to show you what identity am I living in, God? What are the things, what are the lies that I'm living about myself? I've taken people through this practice before and myself actually have been through this quite a few times and those some of those things I shared earlier about part of that identity that I have or some of the things that stood out the main ones that hit broken never enough will always fail. Those came out every single time for me. Some of that came from childhood issues. Some of it came from decisions that I have made. And the enemy used that to just churn and churn my head. And so in community, I got to walk into what those look like. And if we're living in that, and we're living in those places, that brokenness, we're going to then take that and use that basically against other people. So we want to make sure that we spend the time to identify what identity we're living in. James 4, 1, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We are going to always be at odds when we're living out of that false identity. So it's up to us to do the hard work and dig in and identify what identity we're living out of. Moses did this. It was a big one in Moses 3. He actually, as he was talking with God, he says to God basically, who am I? And challenges God to to help him identify who he was. And this is part of that process that we can walk through to help us move on to live out of our true identity. The second step is surrender. It's another term we hear in church all the time. But what a powerful, powerful thing this is to do. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In order to truly begin to live out your true identity, you have to surrender yourself to God. You have to surrender yourself and allow him to speak to you. I truly believe if you go to God and you submit and you say, God, I am powerless without you. You surrender yourself to God and this is the opportunity that God has to transform your mind, transform your life. And when you go to God and you say, God, show me who I am. We're creating a holy space for God to come in and change our lives, change our minds, change our futures, and change what mirror we're looking out of. The third thing is receive it. I know this is actually one of our our biggest uh, values here at K2 is receiving how often we want to give, but we have to be able to receive. And God wants to so abundantly give us gifts that it has to be part of our process of living out our true identity. In Ephesians 3, I'm going to read the passage, and, we, and if you guys take a peek, we've highlighted some of the words in here that describe who we are in Christ and the blessings that we have in that identity. And God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. I want you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to receive these promises. Who you are to Christ. Blessed. Loved. Chosen. Holy, without fault, adopted, free, forgiven, wise, heir, Gifted with the Holy Spirit. How does that feel? I know just saying those words <laughs> changes my heart, changes how I feel, helps me want to turn and look at the right mirror. A couple of years ago, I was going through, I think we all have our lives, those times in our lives that we can kind of mark as like the hardest time of our life, right? A couple of years ago, I feel like it was in one of those times. And I've shared this story a couple of times, but... Um, I was going through and I was crying out to God. David and I have a lot in common. We're both bipolar and we feel like him and I can go back and forth and we can, God, where are you? God, I love you. God, where are you? God, I love you. So I'm crying out just like David and I'm pouring out and saying, God, I need to know who I am. I need to know why me. And I'm crying out because I didn't believe any of these things. Maybe you're there and you don't believe any of these things. And I said them to you and you're like, that's great for my friend sitting next to me. And I didn't believe them. None of them made any sense. Someone could have prayed them and spoke them over me and I wouldn't have received it until this one day when I sat there and I was crying out to God and I heard, you are the daughter of the king. And I've shared this, like I said, a few times, but I will tell you, on those days when I am broken and I am on my knees begging God, show me who I am. Am I really all of those things that I believe that I am? This mirror, broken, flawed, never enough. And he promises me, you are the daughter of the king. And I claim that victory and I walk in that victory I want you guys to walk in the victory tonight of who you are through these things that he tells us in Ephesians. The last thing then is the hardest one, I think. And it's going to be to live. We have to take all of this hard work and now we have to do something with it. It's kind of like coming to church on Saturday and then leaving and be like, well, that was cute. Not doing anything about it, Right. But today we're going to leave here. We're going to change some stories. We're going to change some lives because I told you, God is doing something and he's going to transform us. He wants to transform us. So I want to tell, so I love this. I went actually back and watched a message that Dave gave a while back, um, kind of about this, but it was about David and Goliath and how sure David was at this time who he was. So the story, most of you know, but here's David, and he's a shepherd at the time, so he's out doing his deal, and Saul has gathered up an army, and three of David's brothers go to fight this, to go and fight in this, in this war, in this battle. And Goliath keeps coming out and intimidating everybody with his giant strength and whatever, and, uh, and so David's dad sends him down and says, hey, take some supplies, go check on your brothers, come back and let me know how things are going down there. So David has somebody watch the sheep, he heads down, and he's sitting there watching what's happening, and he's kind of amazed, like, what's going on? Why is this guy here? Why are you all afraid of him? He's trying to figure this out. So he starts asking around. I love this. He's just like, hey, I'm new here. What's going on here, right? And so here in 1 Samuel 17, as David's wandering around talking to everybody, he goes up and his brother hears him talking. So he says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him, I love that, and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now, I love his response. This is beautiful. Now, what have I done? Says David. Can't I even speak? And he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. So (laughs) David is so sure of himself that he literally was not gonna take his brother coming at him with a false identity. He was not gonna take his, his insults. He wasn't gonna take what his brother was hurling at him, right? He literally was like, I know who I am. And he turns away to keep going about his business. So then a few verses later, David continues to show that he knows who he is. So in verses 38 through 39, he says, So Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. And so he took them off. So here's a flip story. Saul is actually trying to be helpful, but he's trying to put an identity on David that wasn't his. He was trying to get David to be something that he wasn't supposed to be. And so David, again, saying, I know who I am, took off the armor of Saul, put on his little Who knows, sheepskin outfit that he had, right? Grabbed his stones and sling and headed on out to battle. We have to be able to put into action and live out who we are. So when something comes at us, something wants to offend us, the arrows are coming at us from the world, ready to take us down. We have to be able to say, I know who I am. I know life is hard. This is really all nice and easy to say. But those of you who know my story know that it is not nice and it is not easy to turn away from a false identity that has been so ingrained in you, you know nothing else. To turn to what Christ wants to tell you. But when that light goes off on our dashboard, like we talked about last week, are we paying attention to it? Or are you doing like my sister did when her check engine light went on and then the low oil light went on and she put post-it notes over the top of them? <laughs> we don't want to do that. <laughs> they don't work. We also don't want to take our car in to have the oil changed when the tires need filled. We need to be able to register what is our dashboard telling us if we're seeing ourselves and we're asking God, show me who I am, and what's coming out are these false identities, then we have to be able to take that to God and say, I'm ready to hear who you say I am. The author David Benner says this amazing quote, an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. Deeply loved by God. Is that the first thing you think about when you think about yourself? Or do you hear, who do you think you are? Band, I want to ha- go ahead and welcome you guys back up. Deeply loved by God, blessed, chosen, adopted. Those are who we are. Those are who we are through Christ in our true identity. Those are who we are that will make us unoffendable. Honestly, what would your life look like if the first thing you thought of when you thought about yourself is that I am deeply loved by God? What would your relationships look like How would Christmas look if we saw other people as deeply loved by God? How would our world change? I love the idea how often we go about life and we're constantly getting offended at various things. All you gotta do is be on Facebook for two seconds and everybody's offended. What if we got on Facebook and said, you are all deeply loved by God. What a change in the story of everyone's lives. When we decide we can do that hard work to identify, to surrender, to receive and to live, we give an opportunity to see heaven on earth. We create a holy space for God to move. I do, I wanna challenge each of you I don't want you to walk out of here tonight and say, thanks, Rach, that was cute. I want you to walk out of here and challenge yourselves and ask yourself, what identity am I living in? What mirror am I looking at? Get together with someone, talk about it, pray about it. Ask God, God, who do you want me to know I am? Because he wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know how deeply loved you are.